Good morning. The scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Well, on um, April of 1963, April 12th to be exact, Dr. Martin Luther King was arrested. He was arrested and he was confined to a jail, small jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. Dr. King and many others that day were arrested because they were violating, they were violating a recent injunction. And this recent injunction was aimed at present and preventing them from marching, preventing them from protesting and, and sitting in and picketing against racism and discrimination and segregation in the city of Birmingham, Alabama at that time. And while Dr. King was being arrested for violating this unlawful ordinance, he was also being publicly criticized, criticized by many in Birmingham, including Christians and some of the clergy. And in response to this criticism, Dr. King wrote his now famous letter from Birmingham jail. Perhaps some of you are familiar with it. If you're not, you should be. It has been called by many the Magna Carta of the Civil Rights Movement. For in this public letter that Dr. King so eloquently wrote from that jail cell in Birmingham, he defended, he defended his nonviolent direct action approach to social change. He argued that justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He also quoted the late Prime Minister of England, William Gladstone, where he said, justice too long delayed is justice denied. Justice too long delayed is justice denied. And today, brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the social advances of Dr. King and many others, we continue we continue today to advocate for justice in this world. We continue to advocate for equality in our land. However, as sons and daughters of God, 
we are often reminded at times like these of the difference and the dichotomy between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Justice delayed in this world may indeed be justice denied. But in accord with God's agenda, as we saw last week, justice delayed is not justice denied. In the scriptures, beloved, justice delayed is mercy given. As we saw last week, right? Last week we saw that those who criticize and mock Jesus for not coming back sooner or, or failing as they saw it to keep the promises that he had made, what they really did is fail to understand the true nature of his return. If they had understood not only would they have praised Christ and praised God for Christ's delaying, but the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 that they would be praising God because they'd realize that God has been good and that they would therefore repent. The reason why the justice and judgment of God has in any sense been delayed, it is because God is good and he desires your and my repentance because he's merciful. Is this not the case for most of us this morning? Dare, dare I say that most people, most people, beloved, don't realize the greatness of their salvation until they recognize how good God has actually been to them. They don't realize the greatness of their salvation until they come to see how wide has been his mercy. How deep has been his love, how great has been his grace, and how long has been his patience. And still, and still, with all the great mercy, with all the long patience of God, still the Bible reminds us, like in the days of Noah, God's patience will not always be present with his creation. And Peter this morning reminds us that justice delayed at some point will not be delayed anymore. The justice and the judgment of God is coming. And the word of God to us this morning, it is a sobering word. It is a sanctifying word. 
But, beloved, it should also be a satisfying word, as it is a reminder to us that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming again. And we are so easily caught up in the immediacy of the moment. We are so easily caught up and what is happening right now today that we often lose perspective on the greatest reality, and that is the Lord is coming again. And whatever is happening today will begin to fall away in insignificance when the Lord returns. And he is coming. He is coming. Peter is saying, have no doubt about it. The Lord is coming. Christ is going to return. And Peter describes this as the Lord's day. The Lord is going to have his day. It is going to be the Lord's day. And the more that we think about the Lord's day, then Peter says, then we also need to be contemplating our present duties. When you consider that the Lord's day is coming, then it should cause you to look, reflect upon your own life and your own present duties in light of his coming as we anticipate the world's final and ultimate destiny. The Lord's day, our duty, and the world's destiny. That's what the Word of God has for us this morning. Let's contemplate just for a moment upon what Peter means here by the Lord's day, or more commonly referred to as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This is the day that Peter talks about in light of Christ's return. And it is not something that is unique with, with the Apostle Peter, but this is a familiar phrase. It is not new with Peter, but it's a phrase that is used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to speak of the day of God's revelation. It's the day of God's revelation. It's the day of his justice. It's the day of his judgment. Frequently used, explicitly spoken of 19 times in the Old Testament, four times in the New, and is implied countless and countless of others. It is the promise of the day of retribution. It is the day of restoration. It is the promising day of wrath. It is the day of reward. It is the day of justice. It is the day of judgment. And you see this in the Old Testament and the New. In Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 6, how does the prophet talk about it there? Well, he says, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from Almighty, it will come. The day will come as a day of destruction. Notice how the Apostle Paul speaks of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware 
that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so there's some common themes here that run throughout the scriptures that Peter here picks up on as he wants to encourage the saints, that the day of the Lord is going to be a day of severity, and the day of the Lord will be a day that comes suddenly. It will be a day that comes suddenly. Isn't that what Peter says? The day of the Lord will come, in verse 10, like a thief. Or as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2, like a thief in the night. Like a thief. Again, this is a common and very important way that the Bible speaks about the nature of God's doing in the world. And by doing so, by speaking of God's doing as a thief in the night, it warns us of spiritual negligence. And so it says in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. It's going to come suddenly. It's going to come like a thief would in the night. You stay awake because you have no idea when that day will suddenly appear. Why? Because, beloved, successful thieves don't generally advertise when they are coming to rob you. They come when you least expect it. They come when your guard is down. They come when they believe you are most vulnerable. Isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew 24, verse 44. You must, you also must be ready at all times, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. For those of you who are fight fans, it's, it's like those who box. The whole time you've been on guard from the left, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he hits you with a right. Unfortunately, many of us, and I include myself in this, and I include our church in this, is that we don't get alarm systems or cameras until after the thief has come. After the thief comes, after we've been broken into, after we've been robbed, after our vulnerabilities have been exposed, then all of a sudden we want to get a security system. Then we want to get cameras. And really, beloved, the alarm at that point is not installed against that thief. The alarm and the cameras are installed against the next time. The problem with that, beloved, is that when Christ comes back, there will be no next time. You got to get those installed today. If you are here this morning, listening to us this morning, let me plead with you personally that when 
the Lord will turn, returns, it will be too late then to seek shelter. It will be too late then to worship him. Now is the time. Today is the day. While the Lord's mercy is yet being extended and his patience is yet present, trust and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For he will come suddenly, and when he comes, it will be severe. When the Lord comes back, the Bible says that he will not come back as a lamb lying in a manger. He will be a lion ready to roar. We won't be singing silent night, holy night, all is calm. All is bright. It will be bright, but it won't be calm. It won't be silent. The Bible says the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies, the elements, will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Again, again, this is reflective of what is prophesied in the Old Testament, of what the prophets predicted. Isaiah 13 and verse 9, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. The world as you and I know it will be no more. Earth, wind, and fire, not the group, even though they are no more like we knew them also. But no, not the group. I'm talking about the elements. The sky and the earth will be gone, changed in an instant, changed in a moment with a loud unnerving, menacing sound or roar. When the Lord returns, it will be in surround sound. Now, I remember, I don't know if you remember, but I remember the first time, the very first time I heard surround sound. I was sitting there watching the TV, and as I'm watching this movie, all of a sudden I heard a noise, and it wasn't from the TV. It was behind me. And I turned and said, what was that? When the Lord returns, beloved, the noise, the roar will surround the world. And people will be looking and asking, what is that? Where did that come from? Shaking in fear. That is the point that Peter is making. And in that instant, the fires of judgment will burn hot. And all the deeds of humanity 
will be exposed. All of them. All of them, beloved. All of them. The sovereign, omniscient one is coming. That's what the best point that Peter's making here. The sovereign, omniscient one is coming. And the justice that has been delayed is delayed no more. No one gets away with anything. I think you need to hear that again. I think our world needs to understand that. Christians today needs to under, need to understand, beloved, no one is getting away with anything. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. No one, no one is getting away with anything. No one in history has ever gotten away with it. The Nazis who escaped Germany after World War II and lived long lives didn't get away with it. All of the unsolved lynchings that have marked America, they are not getting away with it. The murders and the rapes, they are not getting away with it. The unlawful deaths and incarceration, God knows. No one is getting away with it. Justice delayed, beloved, is not justice denied. For Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Nothing escapes God's judgment. You know why? You know why, beloved? You know why nothing escapes his judgment? Because, like Hamilton said, God was there in the room where it happened. In the room where it happened, in the room where it happened, God was there in the room where it happened. Nothing escapes his judgment. Whatever injustice we see in this world and even in our present times, Nothing escapes the justice and the judgment of God. This is the day of the Lord that is coming. And in light of that then, in light of the fact that the sovereign, omniscient one is coming, then Peter raises a question he wants us to consider. And that is this. How then shall we live? How then shall we live? It is important to remember our duty here because, beloved, Peter was not writing to the scoffers. He was writing to us. He's writing to the beloved church of Christ to remind us that the Lord indeed is coming, that he is not late. 
And since he is not late, and since he is coming, and since he is a sovereign, omniscient one, how then shall we live? What type of people should we be? What should characterize our lives in this present age as we anticipate the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? In a word, Peter says, holiness. 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 Now notice, notice something here, that when Peter talks about holiness, Peter doesn't give us a list of do's and don'ts. But too often, that's how we think of holiness, right? That's how we think of holiness. We think of it in terms of what we do or what we don't do. We generally associate holiness with, with people who don't drink and smoke and don't have sex out of wedlock and, and vote Republican and, and things like that. Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Alan. I'm just kidding. Calm down, all y'all on Facebook. Just chill. Just kidding. We like rules. Normally when we think of holiness, we, we think of rules because rules make us feel good about ourselves. Because rules allow us to overestimate our own righteousness. This is a problem with the Pharisees. They associated holiness and righteousness with rules. A biblical holiness, beloved, is not so much about rules. Biblical holiness is more about faith. It's about trusting Christ. Holiness is a willingness to walk by faith. By faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 2, in the chapter on the faith, the Bible tells us that the saints of old were commended as holy, not because they were perfect, but because they believed. Because they trusted God. And when Peter here is saying for us to live holy lives, what he is really encouraging us is don't stop believing in Jesus. Don't let your faith wane. Holiness is maintaining faith, not in yourself to do right, but in Christ. Keeping your eyes and trust on him. Don't get distracted from your first love. Don't stop focusing on Jesus. Focus on Christ. He is our holiness. In other words, just stay awake. Just stay awake. To be holy is to be awake. Let's put it that way. Okay, you're not sleeping. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4. The Bible says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you, thinking about the day of the Lord, like a thief. Right? You're not in darkness, so this day should surprise you. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. That's holiness. Holiness is being awake. Holiness is realizing that you are children of light and not darkness. 
that you're walking in the light and the truth of God's Word because you have your eyes on Jesus and you are awake and sober. People like to throw around that term today, woke. That's what they, they like to throw around the term, woke. These days, they, they throw it around they, to describe those who are socially conscious, kind of ethnically awake, kind of politically astute. They call them woke if you wear dreads and sell incense down on the corner. You woke. Let me, let, let me tell you what the Bible says, beloved. If you are not living in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, if you are not living your life by faith, leaning on Jesus alone, if you are not trusting in the finished work of Christ against the coming judgment of God against sin, you are not woke. You're sleeping. And you can be as socially conscious as you want. You can be as ethnically aware as you can be. You can be politically astute. And you can even wear dreads. Yet according to the Bible, woke is knowing and living and trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Jesus Christ alone. Peter says, stay woke. Paul says, so that the day of the Lord doesn't catch you sleeping. In fact, in fact, if you stay woke, you're going to hasten and hurry Christ along. Excuse me? What it says in verse 12, it's an amazing and even inexplicable truth, beloved. The more woke we are to the reality of Christ's return, the sooner he will come. Chapter 3, verse 12. As you look forward to the day of God, and speed it's coming. And speed it's coming. Now, beloved, I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. And I've read a lot of people. I don't think anyone knows exactly how that works. How does my lifestyle influence the eternal decree of God on the return of Jesus Christ? Has not a God already determined the day? Has not God already determined the hour? Are not his decrees immovable and infallible? And yet, here the Bible says that the more woke you and I are to the reality of who Jesus is, the sooner the Lord will return. Perhaps, perhaps he might, perhaps we might understand this to remind us that the more faithful we are, the more faithful we are in getting the message out that Jesus saves, 
the more faithful we are in letting the world and showing the world that Jesus satisfies lost and lonely sinners, maybe then we can understand that the sooner the Lord will return. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, and Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Perhaps that's how we are to understand it, that once the gospel is preached to all nations, Christ will return and so usher in the ultimate new age. The new age. The new age. Perhaps that is the point, that we will see and experience the ultimate destiny of this world as we live woke lives in Jesus Christ. For this is the ultimate goal here. This is the ultimate goal. It's verse 13. The ultimate goal of God for those in Christ, those awoke to his promised return, is not this present world, but the glory of the world to come. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate prize, right? It is not this present world with all of its trappings, with all of its appeals. It is not this present world, beloved. It is the glory of the world to come. And the more woke we are to the promise of Christ's return, the more we are anticipating not this world, but a better world. A better world. This world is passing away, beloved. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. I let the cat out the bag. This world is passing away. And so for all of our efforts, for all of our efforts, and, and beloved, they are worthwhile efforts to make this world a better place, we must always remember that this world as we know it is passing away. Yeah, 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 we recycle. Yes, we decry injustice. Yes, we vote out unrighteousness and vote in righteousness. Yes, we conserve. Yes, we try to preserve. But, beloved, we have to beware of the idolatry of the here and now. This world is not all that matters. God has put us here as caretakers of this world, but it's, it is with the promise and the understanding that he has promised a new one. A new one. A new one, beloved. A new one. And this is the point. I really do believe, beloved, this is the point of this passage that we're looking at this morning. This passage is not here to scare you, and if I scared you in the beginning, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you about surround sound and all that. That is for those who are scoffing and mocking. For those who are trusting Christ, this passage is an encouragement, a glorious reminder that as Christians, we are not scared of God's destruction because the, Lord, the, Lord, the, the, the day of the Lord for us is not a day of destruction. It is a day of restoration. It is a day of renovation. 
Here's a day when we will finally see that which we long to see, the new heavens and the new earth. This is not a passage about fear then, beloved. This is a passage about faith. It is faith in God's promises. Yes, yes, yes. God is going to judge sin. His judgment against sin is coming. But, beloved, understand that the judgment of God against sin is not a destruction of the earth. It is a judgment against sin. How do we understand that? Well, when God judged the world in Noah's day, he didn't destroy the world. He took away sinners. What did he do with the earth? He renewed it. He renewed the earth. And he told Noah to replenish the earth. There was only one problem. Noah could only replenish it with more sinners. This time, when God's judgment comes, God will judge sinners again. He will take away sinners. He will take away sin. But again, beloved, he will restore heaven and restore earth. He will this time, however, replenish it with a new creation. Not those in the image of Noah, but those in the image of Christ. Therefore, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That is the point. The Lord is coming to judge sin on the earth. And as he judged sin on the earth, he is coming to replenish, renew, restore the earth. And he's going to fill it with his new creation, those who are now in Christ. No more protests for justice. Because Amos chapter 5 and verse 4 says that at that time, justice will roll down like waters. No more hungering for righteousness. Why? Because righteousness will flow like an everlasting stream. Everything, everything, everything will be made new. I like to call it new-new. It's going to be new-new. Not just new, it's going to be a new-new. It's going to be a true new, an incorruptible new. We all like nice things. We all like new things. Don't, don't you like new things? I like new things. I'm sure you like new things, like the smell of a new car, like the speed of a new computer, like the features on a new phone, Jen, like the look of new shoes, that's where my wife is all the time. Like the excitement of a new love. We like new things. The problem that we often run into, though, is that new cars eventually get musty. And we got to get air fresheners. Computers slow down. And they eventually crash. Phones become outdated. 
shoes get scuffed up and lose their shine. And unfortunately, sometimes love grows cold and distant. But when the Lord talks about new, he's talking about a new new. He's talking about a true new. He's talking about an incorruptible new. He's talking about a new that stays new, that is everlasting new. He's talking about a new people that he's going to give new bodies because they have new spirits and new hearts. He's talking about a people who have new names. He gives them new songs to sing because they have new affections and new minds. He has given them new lives because they have entered into a new covenant. They dwell in a new Jerusalem that is in a new heaven and a new earth because when he says new, he is making all things new. All things. All things. New, not some things, beloved. And it is an incorruptible new. It stays new. Beloved, I don't know about you, but I can't wait. I can't wait till I get something new that stays new. I can't wait till I look at something new and it stays new. I can't wait to see something shining and it stays shining. This is the promise of God to his people. A new heaven and a new earth when all things are new. That's why, beloved, you don't stop believing. You don't stop trusting. You don't stop living by faith. Because this world is passing away. But God has promised you a new home where everything, everything is new. Let's pray.